Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Everybody knows where I was born. 
All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of our Listener Success Stories. Again, this episode we try to drop on a weekly basis, getting guys on just like yourself listening to this podcast that's having success using tactics from the episodes uh, that we've dropped and applying it and being able to kill, you know, good deer. Uh, and on this week's episode, we have asked, we have Austin Hendricks coming on from Georgia who just killed a slammer of a buck, man, a great big rack buck from Georgia. Super excited to talk to you, Austin, about this experience and kind of what has helped you be successful. But, man, uh, Austin, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on and let me share my story with you guys and all the listeners. I appreciate it. Of course. Well, hey, uh, the funny thing is I always like to tell people that we are on take two on this. This was some technical difficulties we had on the first recording. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate you being patient with us and, uh, and letting us kind of break down how um, you know the podcast kind of helped along with uh, one of our guests. Uh, to help you be successful on a, on a really, really awesome deer. And by the way, for anyone that's listening to the show right now, by the time you're listening to it, uh, the Facebook and Instagram posts should be posted. Um, and again, you'll be able to see photos of these of this buck that uh, Austin was able to kill uh, in his home state of Georgia. Uh, but Austin, to kind of kick us off, um, to kind of, yeah, just really to kick us off, what would you say, uh, or what episode really clicked for you that helps you be successful when it comes to the tactics used to kill this last buck that you just got? So, um, the, the episode that really helped me, you know, take the deer I took was basically, I think you guys dropped it, uh, I want to say the week before deer season opened here in Georgia or bow season opened here in Georgia. And it was the episode with Tim Knight. Um, that one really, really played a huge role in me being able to take the deer I took for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, so yeah, Tim Knight was an interesting guy to have on. To be honest, I've only known about Tim for, I'd say probably only about eight months or so. Um, he, he got up on our radar from, we had some listeners from that middle Georgia, South Georgia area that highly recommended him. And uh, when we got him on, I was very fascinated with his success hunting, uh, you know, public and also private land on high-pressure leases, high-pressure public, and going out there having success with a bow hunting, you know, habitat that a lot of other guys are overlooking. Um, And, again, it seems like that was something that played a huge factor for you. And, you know, when it comes to Tim and what Tim was talking about, was there anything specific – that he had talked about that really hit home for you that maybe was a playing factor uh, with you killing this buck? Yeah, so the number one thing that, that really, I think, was um, was was helpful with me taking the deer I took was was him always going back to not being afraid to walk. He, he always, you know, he kept bringing that up throughout the podcast. He'd say, you cannot be afraid to walk. Well, you know, the area I killed my deer is planted pines. It was super thick in there, and it basically kind of dropped off a ridge into a steep bottom. Um, and on the top, before you even get to those planted pines, is a is a is a field. Um, now this is this is a family land kind of kind of parcel that I have. It's about a hundred acre piece, and um, it's it's highly pressured i'd say i mean there's hunters all on the edges of it i mean my two younger brothers along with my two cousins um hunted as well so 100 acres split up with that many guys obviously is 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 pretty pressured so i was definitely looking for ways to kind of get out of that routine that most um private land guys get in um of just you know this is my spot this is where i'm hunting 
I'm going to go here and hopefully, you know, something great happens. Well, it, you know, beginning of November, it, it might, you might luck out and the rut could definitely help you. But, uh, this, when I killed this deer, I mean, I was definitely going to have to do something different than what, what I had been doing because it was not working out whatsoever beforehand. So, um, that would be, I would say the best thing that, that I took from the whole podcast is just not being afraid to walk and do something different. We get so stuck in our ways. Um, sometimes it, it's actually more harm than good for sure. Yeah. And I can absolutely, you know, relate with what you're saying. Just, you know, growing up hunting, uh, our family farm, which is 89 acres, uh, in central Alabama and also hunting, uh, you know, just different hunting clubs, you know, with high pressure, you know, everybody would always enter and exit the property pretty much the same way um and like our family farm you can only get to it from one side of the road um there's not like yep. it's another uh, entrance point so you could always you always had to come from one direction and you know everybody you know we'd always have you know specific stands that are there you know historical stands that's been there forever that you know we would you know change cables on these tree stands and, and you know they'd be chained in the tree and after season they'd loosen yep. the chains a little bit on them um and that that what you're talking about and especially now thinking back what tim was talking about like not being afraid to walk even on a property you know just being 100 acres or even 80 acres you know a lot of guys especially if you hunt private land you're like man that is small compared to like you know a couple thousand acres i might be able to run around on but when a lot of guys hunt those properties myself included because i'm guilty of this and i can absolutely relate with you is you know you get so you know, you get stuck in a rut of how you get to your stand, how you exit, and you hunt the same spots all the time. You're hunting fields. If you, if you, you know, have baiting legal in your state, you know, you're hunting over bait piles, you know, you're hunting the pretty woods, you know, you're hunting places where you can get a visual that's easy to get to. Um, and it, when you do that, it makes a hundred acres feel a lot smaller than what it really is. And it seems like you really kind of thought outside the box and used kind of Tim's tactic to get into a spot that was a little bit less pressured, even though that there's quite a bit of hunting pressure on that piece and everything around there, uh, wouldn't you say? Correct. Yeah. So basically kind of how, how that property laid out, like I mentioned earlier, it's a planted pines with a lot of thick, nasty undergrowth. Um, but there's like a, there's an old field basically that I was, I was hoping the deer, um, that I shot was bedding in and it was actually off of our property. So what I was hoping was happening was he was dropping down into a, a, a creek bottom and traveling to a huge soybean field, probably half a mile away where I was getting pictures of him. Now he was, he was putting, you know, some, some ground legwork in, um, for sure to get to those soybeans. But I ended, I had a picture of the deer I killed probably, um, half a mile away. I was thinking he was living over on a different property that I had permission to hunt and was, was hoping and praying that he was, he was bedding. If he was bedding on our property, this was the area he had to be bedding in. So I had to, uh, I had to get creative and, obviously not enter and exit the same way that everybody else um on our family farm does so ended up dropping down um i don't know maybe 500 yards or so away from where we usually enter those woods at to get to the field it kind of opens up in the back and and we got a nice little green field back there but 
basically I had to drop down into a bottom and walk through a dry creek bed all the way back to a certain point and ended up popping up on top of this ridge and in some of the thickest, nastiest crap that, of course, I, I never would have hunted before at all um, and kind of took the climber off my back and, and set up shop there. And that was the first time anybody um, that I'm aware of, at least, and my grandfather said, no, he, he didn't even know how I got back in there. Um, it was still our land, but he wasn't sure how I got back to where I was, um, had ever hunted that spot. So it was, uh, it was pretty neat for sure. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, you know, what are, what were some of the other things that Tim, uh, talked about that hit home for you? I mean, talking about, you know, don't be afraid to walk, but was there anything else, kind of the simple things that he talked about that really hit home for you, uh, that you kind of applied for this deer? Yeah. So, um, another one being the trail camera deal. So he said he's not knocking trail cameras and I, I fell into this rut big time. Um, so, you know, everybody gets pictures of, of awesome deer and stuff like that at, at night. And basically for the last, I don't know, two, three years, we, I say we, me, my family, my brothers and cousins, we all hunt together. Uh, we, we were in this huge rut of basically, well, we don't have a picture of any good deer there. We're not going to go hunt that spot. Well, this is a prime example of that. I mean, I had a picture of this deer half a mile away but I had to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together in order to determine if he is on our property where I'm hoping he is, this is where he has got to be traveling through. I mean, it just, this is the only place he could be. And now I never had a camera in that spot. I mean, it's just too hard to get back in there, but, um, that, that would be another big one. You know, don't rely on the camera because there could be great deer skirting that camera or walking behind the camera or 40 yards away from it. And, you know, you have no idea they're there and you're not hunting that spot because you don't have pictures of a shooter there. Um, that, that is a prime example of what happened here for me, for sure. Yeah. And so when this episode actually drops, this episode will, will drop, uh, I guess it'd be uh, a week from today. Um, by the time this episode drops, uh, we'll, we'll have an episode that has come out um, that actually goes over this exact topic of what you're talking about. You know, not focusing so much on trail cameras because it can be a hindrance, not only on, you know, letting yourself down because maybe you don't have any big deer on camera, but the signs there, for some reason you're not picking up on camera, or it just dictates how you focus your time when you're in the woods and, and how much of a distraction cameras can be. And also just the excitement when you're not running trail cameras, you're, you're focusing on woodsmanship, finding the sign, hunting the sign. When you do see that big buck and he steps out, it's most likely the first time you've ever seen him. And just the excitement is so much more than, you know, a deer you've got named and, uh, you know, everything else. Um, and that's actually, you know, part of what we talk about in this uh, episode that actually, you know, this your episode will be dropping on a Thursday. It would have been this Monday's episode with uh, Mr. or Dr. Uh, Chris Jenkins uh, from Georgia, from North Georgia. Um, so that, that that's something that definitely anyone's listening to this episode needs to go back and listen to that episode. Um, but uh, that's a really good point. And, you know, that's something that a lot of the guys that we've had on the show, uh, Tim not being one of them, but we've had a lot of gentlemen on the show that are just experienced woodsmen. They're very, very accomplished deer hunters, whether they're hunting public land or high-pressure private land, that are going out. They're not focusing so much on trail cameras. They're focusing on that sign, finding the freshest sign that's telling them there is a big, mature buck in this area, and they're hunting that, and that's how they're having success. 
And again, you applying that kind of in this area, you know, seems like something that was a big factor with that, which I want to ask the area that you hunted and you actually shot this buck, was there, what, I mean, you're saying it's a travel corridor. What is the travel corridor? Why did you think this deer was going to be running this one spot on your property? So basically how the, how the property lays out, it's kind of like a, the painted picture is kind of like a CRP field up where I was hoping that deer was bedding. Um, he was bedding there because that's exactly after I shot him, that's exactly where he turned and tried to get back to, but, um, ran right back the way he came. But basically coming out of that CRP field, it meets a hardwood edge. And then that hardwood edge drops into a bottom. Um, and that right at the bottom of the hardwood edge, or right at the bottom of the hardwood there, there's a Creek and, there is absolutely cow trails piled through that thing. I mean, it is, it's demolished. And what he was doing was he was dropping down into that creek bottom and literally on the other side of the creek bottom where I was hunting, um, it was just a huge, nasty pine thicket. I mean, it's I, where I was hunting, I could see 20 yards, 25 yards at the most. Um, but basically it drops down into that bottom and he was just traveling that bottom about half a mile away to a soybean field um and literally leaving sign almost the whole way there i mean he he was a super territorial deer for some reason um i mean he was definitely the the mature buck of the area i would say because where I had pictures of that deer on the edge of the soybean field was actually on a scrape that i'd found two weeks prior to me, to me killing this deer. So, um, ran pictures of them there. So these, these scrapes started popping up on our property. That's the only reason I kind of, a flag went off in my head that like, Hey, this is where this deer is traveling. So I just kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together and backtracked all the way back to where I was hoping he would be bedding in the CRP field type area just a big brushy grown-up field and it it worked out um i checked it on my way in walking to this spot i had an idea of where i wanted to get but i didn't set up until i actually got in there walked the creek bottom um it's actually a dry creek bed not the creek bed that he was traveling in um they kind of meet and intersect there and i walked it to a certain point jumped out of it and uh started walking walk in the bottom there and found a few a few scrapes literally three or four all together right there along with a couple of uh rubs maybe 50 or 60 yards away from that and i was well i gotta set up here i mean this looks like the sign the freshest sign so i i gotta sit here and um climbed a climbed a tree and as luck would have it he he came right down and right down through there i mean with a lot of time to spare too i think i shot him at 6 30 or so um and literally when i shot him right before i shot him anyways he was making a scrape i mean he was it was crazy how it worked out but you know everything that i said was uh it was spot on for sure no that that's really interesting so uh, one thing that you're talking about with a spot is, uh, you know, it's close to where you thought he was betting at, you know, being in that CRP field, you know, kind of had a whim uh, and kind of thought that that was possibly where he was spending some time at. And you, I guess, were you looking at a map and you were like, you know that he's going to the bean field, 
to feed. Correct. Did you just look at the map and like this drainage is like one of the quickest ways for him to get down there, but stay in cover? Yep. Yep. So that's exactly what I did. Um, just checked a uh, satellite imagery um, map and uh, actually hunt stand to be exact. I mean, um, use hunt stand and and basically said if he's betting on our piece, this is where he's got to be. And um, this would be the route he would take to get there, and uh, it, it it all clicked after after that episode for sure. And he that's where I that's where I figured I needed to get to, and it, it worked out. Awesome. Well, that's that's cool how you were able to look at an aerial map, put that picture together, and go in there and have success killing that buck. Now let's talk a little bit more about this. The sign. Well, actually, let's back up a little bit more. Let's talk about how you got into this spot, okay? Talk about a mm-hmm. little bit, where are, on your property, where are some of the, um, I would say, like, the permanent stands, like the stands that guys are constantly hunting that's in this general area? And then how did you kind of pinpoint how you wanted to swing into this spot that you think he was using, you know, in an area that wasn't actually being hunted? So, basically, how... How the properties let there's actually a uh, a stand that a lot of us hunt literally I'd say a hundred not even hundred fifty yards away from where I ended up killing the steer so and it's on the edge of the the pines with a ton of undergrowth and then the greenfield we have well basically how we originally access that stand is that i mean we walk on the left side all the way around the edge of the green field and come right in now the crp field literally is on the opposite side of a ridge and it's it kind of funnels into a point basically mm-hmm. and where you have to access that to get to that stand if a deer is bedded on the edge of that CRP field, he can see you a hundred percent. And I just over, over time, never put that, that never even crossed my mind um, that, that a deer would be laying there literally patterning me or whoever's hunting that stand walk to and from it. Um, So basically what I ended up doing was doing the exact opposite of what we usually do. Um, I dropped down to the right, got in a dry Creek bed, and literally walked it down, hunched over and all, um, through some thick, nasty, I probably still have briars all in my, my hunting pants for sure, but literally dropped down into this, you know, um, dry creek bottom and walked it all the way to where I had a feeling um, that he might drop down out of that CRP field where it kind of met up there. And I just jumped up on the left side of the uh, of the drainage down there and, he ended up um, coming right out and funneling right down to me. Awesome. So another thing that you were talking about is just the the sign you were finding down there. The sign that you were finding down there, uh, and you were talking about it's you know extremely thick. You were talking about I think you only could only see 25, 30, 40 yards, something like that, down in this area um, in these yep. ponds. Was the sign that you're finding down there different from sign that you have seen in the other side or other parts of the property where y'all are more constantly hunting, you know, for like the same time frame? I mean, a hundred percent. Okay, so the sign 100%. was much different. Yeah, much different. So, you know, there's the only sign really on the other parts of the property are just trails leading to and from 
the actual fields that we're getting pictures of deer and stuff like that eating on, you know, there's, there was not a ton of sign, um, not any mature buck sign for sure, uh, where we had been hunting. So, um, when I dropped down in the creek bottom, I literally told myself, you know, you're not going to stop walking until we can find some sign. And literally, um, as soon as I got to where I was thinking, um, looking at, looking at the maps where I was thinking he might drop down, as soon as I got there, I popped up on the ridge and I could see on the other side, huge called out scrapes. And I was just like, okay, well, those are, there's three right in a row. And then I could see up on the ridge right before I, the CRP field started in the hardwoods. I could see, and when I say hardwoods, it's, it's thick hardwoods. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. It opens up kind of more when it, when it tapers down to the left side of the property, it opens up into your big, pretty open hardwoods. But, where that deer traveled through was in like super thick there was some undergrowth in there um there's greenbrier and stuff like that as soon as you get down towards kind of like the creek bottom area but up towards the top where he came out of the crp field there was some some rubs and stuff like that um that i had seen from a distance now when i got down in there i couldn't see any of that because it just kind of swallows you when you get down in there but um I climbed the tree, and uh, around 6.30 or so, I could hear something, you know, kind of walking on the other side of the creek. Um, I could tell, I could see a deer, but I couldn't make out what it was. I knew he was by himself, so immediately I thought, you know, if it was a doe, she'd have somebody with her for sure. So, um, the only deer I saw this whole hunt, 100% the only deer I saw, and I, uh, since he was alone, I decided to take out my, my grunt call actually. And I grunted at him three, just short grunts just to let him know I was there. And I'm not kidding you within 30 seconds, this deer was down the hill. He was, when I just saw pieces of him, you know, before I grunted, didn't know if he was a shooter or not. He came straight down the hill and literally started making a scrape about 20, 25 yards from me, but he was facing me the entire time. So, um, when he was coming down, making his way down the hill, I said, you know, as soon as he drops into this creek bottom, I got to draw. Um, ended up, when he popped out of the creek bottom, his head his head was just about to come up. I drew on him. And when I got drawn, uh, he ended up doing that thing that big deer do. He literally just stood there. He didn't stare at me. He just stared off in the distance for literally, I mean, it had to have been five minutes, dude. I mean, it was ridiculous. He just stood there and stared. And I was like, come on, man, you got to make a move. Um, and he was at this point in time, he was probably 20, 25 yards from me. And, uh, I had it. The funny thing about it is, is obviously when you're drawn back on a deer, um, you know, it seems like it's a lot longer than it is, but I, I mean, he, my shoulder was on fire, dude, just from holding this draw. Um, but, he was facing me the entire time, so I had no shot. Finally, um, he came into, I think the shot was at 14 yards I took on him. So it, he finally gave me a quarter and two shot, and I said, I'm going to have to let this thing go, or I'm going to have to let down. And if I let down on this deer, it's not going to be good. I'll never forgive myself for it. So he, he gave me a quarter and two shot, and I put it put it right on his shoulder, right behind it. And uh, I ended up getting getting both lungs and 
liver, and I think he ran 80 yards and tried to make it back to that CRP field, and he just he was done. He couldn't he couldn't tote it. He I think I was using a Simmons broadhead too, by the way, which I heard from you guys. So <laughs> awesome, dude. <laughs> Dude, that that's no joke right there. You talk about an intense, uh, just an intense setup. Which the funny thing is, again, Austin, you haven't heard it because we recorded um, both listeners' success stories for um, you know this past weekend in your week's episode uh, in the same evening. Uh, but uh, this one from uh, this past week, um, compared to when this is actually being dropped, um, uh, actually Perry he killed a deer in North Carolina on some game land. And it was it is a big big twelve point buck, and it was the only buck he had seen. It was the only deer he saw the whole day. It came in mm-hmm. and gave him that one opportunity, that super thick cover, and he just took it. Um, and it's yeah. something about you know we've talked to a few other guys talking like this early season time span that or time frame that a lot of times if you're in the right spot, you're only going to see that buck, or you're only going to see the bucks in that area for some reason. Like the does are not in that same area. Um, you know, yep. super early on. Uh, and it seems like that was his core area that that deer was working. And, dude, you were just in the right spot at the right time, found the right sign, and implemented, dude, I mean, right on for implementing, dude, uh, calling and, and throwing out a couple grunts yep. right there and getting his attention and drawing him down because, first of all, that's got to be freaking intense. Hunting that thick cover, dude, and you can only see pieces of that deer you call and he just starts coming in on you, dude. And especially the, yep. like, the deer that you shot. I mean, that's – you know, that's 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 a lot. That's <laughs> a lot to go through yeah. and keep it together. It was, man. It was it was awesome. Um, the way it worked out. I mean, you couldn't have wrote it up any better. So, well, the, break it down again. I want to break this down even more. So, um, so that deer was kind of up in elevation from you, correct? When you called to him, correct. So, where? Well, we were about even, but in order for me to basically see if this deer was a shooter or not he was going to have to drop down and cross the there was a creek crossing down there too i forgot to mention so he laid out a bunch of signs on the opposite side of the creek that i was hunting well there's a slick creek crossing right there and when he when he dropped down towards that creek crossing the only way i was going to be able to know if he was a shooter or not, is if he took that trail. And it just so happened um, that he took the creek crossing that I was hoping he would. And when he dropped down in it, I said, shooter, you know, so stand up, grab my bow, um, do that whole deal. Well, when he, I basically the wind down there, I was checking the wind the whole time as well. Um, the wind swirls down there really bad. And if he, literally would have chosen another crossing probably 30 yards to my left which i forgot to mention as well he would have 100 percent got my win because i was watching um i was dropping weed dropping weed dropping milkweed and when i was doing that i literally watched it twirl like three or four different directions within a 30 minute period when i first got there so when he when he dropped down, he had to take a certain trail across that creek, or he was going to bust me. Um, and he did. He he dropped down in it. I thought he was a shooter, and uh, held on him forever. It seemed like forever, but yeah, I mean, it, it worked out great. Um, but that was another thing I forgot to mention that you guys a hundred percent talk about a lot. Sometimes you got to kind of hunt so aggressively that that wind's not right at them 
but it's close. I mean, you're cutting the you're cutting the edge for sure. Yeah, I was gonna say it's, it definitely sounds like that was the you know the case for this. You know, it sounds like that buck, you know, he, from the the sounds that you made with the grunts, and like you were saying, a lot of that sound you think was his, not seeing really any other deer on that hunt. You know, him thinking another deer was in his area territorially. He came down there all hot and flustered, laid down some sign, was coming across to you. And he probably yep. thought, like, the wind was in his favor at that point in time uh, as he was crossing the creek. He, def- he definitely did. He 100% did. Um, I was right on the edge. I was cutting it close. Well, you were able to make it happen. By the way, you said you shot the, you were shooting those Simmons broadheads. Uh, which broadheads uh, were you shooting, like, which model? Uh, I want to say it was the didn't it swamp shark something like that. Oh yeah, the one se- believe- the one seventy five grains. Those are, those are bad, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had to uh, definitely do a lot of tuning of the bow to get those things to uh, fly fly the way I was wanting them. But uh, after after a lot of work with the bow um, and our local archery shop here in in Monroe, it's actually in Social Circle, Georgia, but. Um, Spent a lot of time up there, but those guys got it got it tuned up and ready to go, and those things were freaking flying great, man. I love those broadheads. That's awesome. By the way, I'm just curious with the shot and everything with him quartering too like that. Um, did you did you hit just behind that onside shoulder, or did you actually like squirt? I mean, did you actually the, the broadhead actually go through into that shoulder? So I'll have to send you kind of a kind of a recovery video afterwards. So he toted the arrow with him. But basically, my I was trying to punch through that front left shoulder, and I didn't quite get far enough up to the right of where I was wanting to uh, wanting to hit. But I hit right behind his shoulder, and it took it completely blew up his his left lung, and it took out um, a good portion of his right lung at an angle, and. I think back right side um, came out the bottom back right side of him just barely. I mean, the, the broadhead just enough to get decent blood out of that bottom um, bottom of his of his stomach there. But he, where I hit him, I didn't punch through his shoulder. That's where I would have liked to have hit. I would have liked to punch through that shoulder, but because uh, I was thinking that that uh, I was thinking the swamp shark would be able to do it for sure. But I just hit a little bit back to the left, which made us end up. Uh, waiting a lot longer than we wanted to on recovery for sure because um, I wasn't positive about how far he ran. The deer ended up running 80 yards. I heard him heard him crash, um, but where he crashed, there was other deer um, kind of in the area walking around back there, so I wasn't sure and it was getting dark, of course, you know. weren't sure if I was hearing him walk around and lay back down or something like that, but um, ended up you know, finding a little bit of blood, um, going right towards the direction I thought I heard him fall. And uh, he was he was piled up 80 yards away, and I think I waited four hours before I attempted to go, <laughs> to go after him. Um, so, uh, you know, I listen for the fall is all I can say. Oh, yeah. So one thing I want to ask is, um, you know, from this experience, you know, on this property, hunting a spot that, you know, even though the hunting pressure is pretty crazy as what you're talking about on your family farm, but also like the surrounding pieces uh, from other guys, you know, what did you learn, you know, from this experience shooting that buck in that area? And maybe what did you learn actually applying stuff that Tim had talked about 
uh, to this area and actually having success? Um, just get creative. Um, get creative on your access, whether it's taking a taking a boat through a little river or creek or something, or basically just thinking kind of outside the box, doing stuff that that most guys aren't going to be wanting or willing to do to get back in there because that's where your big deer are going to be. They're going to be in spots that uh, it could even be close spots, you know, close to the road or close to access or whatever. They're going to be in these spots where if you want to get to them, you're going to have to work for it for sure. Um, just getting creative on access really was the key to killing that deer for sure, um, 100%. Now, how are you going to take this experience and apply it for, you know, hopefully your, your second state tag buck? And I don't know if you're going to get after any bonus tag bucks on any of the management areas, but, you know, how are you going to take this experience and apply it forward uh, just from what you've learned uh, from that hunt? Because, I mean, again, you know, going in there on the very first sit and killing that deer, I mean, you're talking about, you know, as Glenn Solomon would always say when we had him on, the first time in is the best time. Um, and, and just applying that to every single hunt, how are you going to do that going forward for your next tag? So definitely um, rely on the first, I say rely on the first sit, depending on, depending on where I'm hunting. Um, going in, trying to locate some fresh sign for sure. Um, and then relying on that first sit to really kind of get in there and get it done. And then if I don't see what I'm wanting to see, not being afraid to, to pack it up and move shop, you know, um, try to, try to, you know, maybe get into that spot a different, different way. Um, then I did that hunt, maybe bounce around, even if it's only 50, 60 yards left to the left or to the right, um, coming in a different direction, you know, you never know. He could have been watching you come in that first sit. You know, you, you might come around the left side, walk through the different side of the bottom, and uh, might be able to get on him that way. I mean, just just trying different, different accesses for sure, I would say. Also, when it comes to like hunting that thicker cover, did you learn anything from that as well? I mean, I don't know if that was something you have done a lot in the past, but you know, kind of setting up setting up an area that had the thick cover along with the sign. I mean, is that something that you know kind of hit home for you as well? Yeah, I mean, for sure, um, it happens quick, especially in there in the thick stuff. I mean, I guess I'm used to seeing them uh, from a longer distance for sure. So. When this deer did drop down in the thick stuff, I mean, it was, you know, it all ha- it, it happened. I had to determine if he was a shooter within, you know, 10 seconds. And then he was on, there was no other opportunity to draw. I mean, he was just way too close, too fast. So, um, you know, I guess head on a swivel for sure. I mean, you got to be on your toes, especially in the thick stuff. Um, I'd say that for sure. And, you know, that you could use that to your advantage as well. I mean, if you got super, super thick stuff down in a bottom somewhere, if you can't see a certain direction and you got your wind plate correctly, I feel like the deer, like exactly like Tim Knight said, I mean, you got two of his senses beat right there. I mean, if he can't see you or smell you and he can only hear you, which was the case for me, it, I mean, that's just that's just the golden rule that I'm going to try to hunt by from now on, for sure. Um, play the wind and, and try to get out of sight, for sure. I mean, use, use it to your advantage. I mean, he, he heard the grunt call and came right to it. So, 
um, couldn't see me at all or smell me. So he was coming in there close to investigate, and that's the only way I got a shot on it. Also, does this experience give you a different perspective now on, on hunting high-pressure uh, pieces of property, whether it's public or private? Yeah, it does. It just makes you kind of want to do – no knock on anybody. You, you kind of want to do do it differently than than all the other guys are, um, for sure. Um, it just kind of makes you really open your eyes and see, is what I've been doing, have I been successful doing it? If so, then great. Keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. But if not, don't be afraid to uh, abandon that ship and, and, and try something different, for sure. Awesome. Well, awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on uh, this week's episode of Listener Success Story, sharing your knowledge and just really what you've learned, uh, just kind of listening to guys we've had on the show like Tim Knight and applying it. And on the first sit, killing a really, really good deer. And again, hopefully you can kind of continue to apply that for your, you know, your second state tag and maybe do get out for some of these bonus tags in Georgia. That's one cool thing about Georgia, man. If you're willing to travel and go to some of these uh, different management areas and get a bonus tag, uh, man, you can kill a lot of mature deer in one season. Um, but, hey, to kind of wrap us up, Austin, what would be, if you could, could sum up your whole experience from, you know, how the podcast and, you know, some of these episodes have impacted you, how would you summarize that to be able to share that with another listener to maybe for them to go out, apply some of these tactics and have success maybe the next time they're out in the woods? I would say – Hunt the sun for sure, um, and if it doesn't work right off the bat, don't be afraid to uh, to kind of bounce around and, and and either try different direct different ways to get into a certain spot or um, come, don't be afraid to walk away from that that whole area in general. For instance, I mean exactly how I killed my deer. I mean it's half a mile away. Don't hunt where I was getting pictures of him or where you might be getting pictures of that deer. Try to kind of put pieces of the puzzle together and, and backtrack and, and think outside the box of where that deer might be located, where he might be bedding, where you could locate him and maybe have the best odd to, uh, to get an arrow in. Excellent. Awesome. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on for this week's episode. Thank you again for sharing your experience with us, talking about what's worked for you, uh, especially just applying things that you've heard and listened, uh, you know, on the show and just putting it out there and putting it to work and, you know, knocking a good deer on the ground. But uh, for any of the listeners that are listening right now, if, if you're like Austin, go out and have success using tactics from the podcast, shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram. Let us know what's worked for you. And again, maybe we can select you for one of our future episodes of the listeners story and of course if you like these episodes of course make sure you check out monday's episode every monday we drop a new episode you know interviewing different guests throughout the southeast uh kind of going on uh what's happening at that time of the season and you know get people on that's very relatable with what you know we're trying to talk about on the show which is southeastern hunting uh and if, if you like the podcast please make sure you share it with a buddy um Austin, i know you've done that uh, a little bit as well uh and then also you know leave us a review please on itunes if you uh, listen to us on itunes uh, appreciate all the great feedback and uh until next time we will see you back on monday's episode of the southern outdoors Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern.
Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.